And we're back. This is Dump on the Ump, ostensibly a baseball podcast, season five, episode 31. This is the B Block. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Coming at you from Champaign, Illinois, my name is Joel, and with me this evening, as per usual, is Sam. Sam, how's it going? Hey, Joel, it's going good. I am coming at you, as usual, from Brooklyn, New York, uh, and we are entering the B Block today. We're doing a new format for the B Block. We'll call it the Book Block, or the B Block, B Block Book Club. Yeah. Uh, Joel and I are both currently reading books about baseball. There's a lot of B, B sounds in this intro. <clears throat> we're both reading books about baseball, and we're going to share them with you on B Block over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to be uh, spotlighting Joel's book, which he's about halfway through, called The Pitcher and the Dictator. Now, loyal listeners of the show will remember that recently me and my brothers went on a trip to Kansas City uh, and visited the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame, and uh, I related a brief blurb about pitcher Satchel Page's trip to the Dominican Republic, um, and then Joel thought it was interesting and brought, bought the book, um, and which he's now reading. So he's going to bring us through a little bit of this book today, and I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions, hopefully to stump him, um, and uh, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, take it away, Joel. All right, thanks. Yeah, and it probably will be easy to stump me because I have I'll have to look a lot of shit up. But that's right. So the book I'm reading, I'm a little bit more than halfway through. It's called The Picture and the Dictator. Satchel Page's Unlikely Season in the Dominican Republic by Avril Ace Smith. And as the title suggests, and as Sam mentioned, this the primary topic of this book is the 1937 baseball season in the Dominican Republic, in which the great pitcher Satchel Page went from uh, playing in the American Negro Leagues down to the Dominican Republic to play kind of as a ringer in a three-team league in the DR in 1937. Okay, question one. Yeah. Ace, is that the guy's middle name or is that like his nickname? The way it looks on the book, it's like his nickname. And... My guess is he probably gave himself that nickname. I was that was going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> what one of the things I really like about the book is it's kind of obsessed with everyone's nicknames. Every player is somebody quote somebody else. So right. you know, Page is Leroy Satchel Page, and some of the guys have really ridiculous and hilarious nicknames, and that's something I really like about the book. So, Paige, uh, let me, here we go, here's a list of them. Robert Schoolboy Griffith. Nice. James Cool Papa Bell. (laughs) That's the best one. I would (laughs) want my nickname to be Cool Papa. Um, The the Latino players have good ones, too. Marceline Chocho Correa. Um, Oh, here's a good one. Luis Eleuterio Sir Skinny Tiant Sr. 
So his, his nickname is So Skinny. Um, some of the oh, here's a good one. Santos Kangaroo Amaro. <laughs> Why do you think? How do you think he got that it's, nickname? It says right here oh. from Cuba, known as El Kangaroo for his extraordinary leaping ability. <laughs> Played third base. <laughs> Uh, oh, this guy is. This guy comes up a couple of times. David Showboat Thomas from Mobile, Alabama. He frequently took throws at first base behind his back. His signature play was to make a behind-the-back catch on an inning-ending 3-6-3 double play. So that's how he got the name Showboat. Cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's one one cool thing about this book. So let me give you the the synopsis though. So it's 1937, and uh, Dominican dictator Rafael Trujillo is running for re-election. He's technically the president, but also technically took power in a military coup against the former president. Oh, that's interesting. I was under the impression he was dictator for life. Maybe that happened later. Uh, he is there until the 60s when he gets uh, assassinated. I feel like the closest contemporary uh, comparison is actually Vladimir Putin, who keeps just getting reelected with 98%, 99% of the vote. Right. Yeah. Well, there's who would a, be stupid enough to vote against him? You know exactly. I mean? And in this book, there's a lot of very interesting scenes about Trujillo sending essentially goon squads against the opposition parties in the Dominican Republic, especially the press. So as soon as any of the newspapers in the DR write anything slightly critical about Trujillo, he sends he sends his uh, goon squads that are actually led by his brother-in-law to either arrest them or just threaten them. And then suddenly the newspapers will become pro-Trujillo. I feel like I would be worried about my sister's safety if my brother-in-law was like the general of the goon squad. You know what I mean? Like That doesn't sound like it could possibly be a healthy marriage. No, and there's a, a couple of interesting chapters in the book about Trujillo finding bizarro legal ways to leave his wife, one wife for the next hot young woman he sees, who he then leaves for the next hot young woman he sees. He's on his third wife now and has come up with, like, bizarro reasons to divorce his former wives. Henry VIII style? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as I know, he hasn't murdered any of them yet, but I'm not done with the book. Right. Um. So the interesting thing, so... It wasn't Trujillo's idea. He doesn't give a damn about baseball at all. But this dude, Dr. Eyeball, who's in the Trujillo's political party um, and is a dentist by trade, which I think is really interesting. So not a real doctor. Not a real doctor, yeah. (laughs) He's like, hey, a great idea to, like, get people all excited for propaganda purposes for your re-election is to hold a summer-long baseball World Series of the DR kind of thing. Right. Three teams. The um, Eastern Stars, Estelo Orientales, 
who were last year's champions. Uh, another big team, the Aguiars, the Eagles. And then in the main city, uh, Trujillo City, will take apart the two baseball teams in the city and put them together to be uh, like a ringer team, right? Right, a super team. A super team. And they'll be the Trujillo team, right? Right. And they'll win this series, and that'll be like, everybody will be like, yay, General Trujillo's the, the, the best. Right. Makes so they, sense to me. Yeah. So it's a great plan. Trujillo's like, all right, do it. And so they start in April. And, and the weird thing is, there are only three teams in this league. So they keep just playing each other over and over and over again. Right. Sounds like it would be the makings of good rivalries, honestly. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, the uh, the Trujillo team, the Dragons, the Dragones, they start off to a slow start. And, like, fall, they're in last place. They're, like, three and six at the beginning of the season. And Trujillo is pissed. So that's why Dr. Eyeball has to go to the U.S. and start um, scalping, poaching. Is that the right term? Yeah, I guess so poaching players from uh, the Negro Leagues, and that's how they come to Satchel Page with a literally a briefcase with $30,000 in it, so that he'll come play one summer in the Dominican Republic. Right. Which he does. Right, which he does. Yeah. And uh, that was 30 grand just for him, or was he... I thought... I was under the impression that he had 30 grand to, like, recruit a team. Um, let me check that. I The 30 grand, I believe, was his. Um, and then other guys came for less money. Right. One guy that I'm really interested in that I hadn't learned about until this book is uh, Josh Gibson, who the author describes as the Black Bay Blues. But it seems to me that Babe Ruth might be the white Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson. Is this the guy who hit a home run out of Yankee Stadium with one hand? I I don't know. Probably. He's like, that's his deal is like just hitting cowering home runs at like a 340 clip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Google that. I bet you he did. Um. I can't see, I can't find quickly how much money Satchel himself got. So that was the big thing. So like Satchel Page was one big star, and then Josh Gibson was the other huge star who also came to the Dragones. And um, then there's this Cuban guy who goes to their rival team who is like amazingly good, and everyone's kind of afraid of him. Um, I'll find his name also. So, it, it, and one of the fun things is that. None of the teams have set rosters. So they all start with almost all Dominican guys in April. But by the time it's June, they're all going to either Cuba or the U.S. to poach players to stock their teams. And so by the middle of June, they're almost completely made up of foreign players, wingers. It's it's basically that episode of The Simpsons. So, Josh Gibson. Uh-huh. No nickname listed. No, his nickname is Josh. It says right here, Joshua Josh Gibson. Oh. Uh, the be- very best power hitters and catchers in the history of any league, 
including Major League Baseball, he became the second Negro League player to be inducted in the National Hall Baseball Hall of Fame. After Satchel Page, I bet. Satchel Page, no, probably, well, maybe. Uh, he, yeah, maybe. Satchel Page played forever, though. Right. Special page played till he was like in his fifties. Yeah. One thing that is interesting is um Satchel Page and Josh Gibson were on rival teams in Pittsburgh. There were two uh Pittsburgh Negro League teams and they played for different ones and were rivals in, in that area. Uh see if you can Google this guy. Martin Dihigo, D I H I G O. Wait, hold on. He hit, in 1933, he hit 467 with 55 home runs in 137 games. 467 over 137 games. Right, and 55 <laughs> home runs. <laughs> His lifetime battering average is over 350, and some sources putting it as high as 384. Uh, Gibson's Hall of Fame plaque states he hit almost 800 home runs in league and independent baseball during a 17-year career. Wow. Lifetime bag average officially at the Hall is 359. He won nine home run titles and four batting championships, playing for the Crawfords and Grays. The Grays. So so yeah. at the time of the book in 37, Satchel Page is playing for the Crawfords, and Josh Gibson is playing for the Grays, and they're the two rival Pittsburgh teams. Right. He hit the longest home run ever at Yankee Stadium at 580 feet. Um, Who was he playing? Never never been conclusively proven. True, because they couldn't measure it. Who was he playing for? Was he playing in the MLB at that time? No, they were just doing a Negro League game at Yankee Stadium. That's one of the uh, really interesting thing. I wish I could. I should have taken notes in my book while I was reading. Um, they and talk- he's, he's said to have been the only person to hit a ball, a fair ball, entirely out of Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that's awesome. The book talks a little bit about how in the offseason, the white major league players would, would barnstorm and would right. play against Negro League teams during the offseason and how intense those games would get. Right. Um, and that kind of the same stereotypes that we have today um, were, like, in the game at that point um, when they would play each other. Uh, there was a line. I'm sorry, I'm flipping through the book right now. I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, it was $30,000. Here it is. Eventually, Satchel signed his contract. Next, he drove to Hot Springs for a final tune-up before spring training, but he didn't arrive in New Orleans until April. Within days of his arrival, Dr. Eibar appeared from the Dominican Republic. He was able to track down Satchel on the street near his team's hotel in order to put a bank book with $30,000 in it in Satchel's hands. Like, this is way more money than they were getting paid in the Negro Leagues. Right. Yeah. Well, the Negro League seasons, they only played a certain amount of league games, and then all the players played for other teams for extra money. Yeah, let me read uh, three paragraphs, uh, four paragraphs here. This is is one of my favorite parts. 
when the, so this is just describing kind of life in the Negro Leagues. When the baseball season ended, Satchel and his fellow Negro Leaguers made money by barnstorming across America. They played games against town clubs, semi-professionals, and shtick teams like the Ethiopian Clowns and the House of David. But the most money was always to be had by playing against white major leaguers, who, like their black counterparts, were woefully underpaid. Teams headed by legends roamed the country. Babe Ruth barnstormed. There were Dizzy Dean's All-Stars, Bob Fellows All-Stars, and many teams of lesser stature. One thing always held true when Satchel and his fellow Negro Leaguers played against white major leaguers. They were stunned by the slow pace and conservative style of play. When they heard white managers talk about slow ball as doing things the right way, they knew it really meant doing things the white way. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit. Negro League baseball in the 1930s was fast, brash, and flash. Play featured a combination of speed, aggressiveness, unpredictable bunting, an anytime, anywhere running game, power, bean balls, flamboyance, and a sense of humor. Pitching could mean anything from blazing fastballs, spitballs, shine balls, cut balls, and knockdowns, often thrown out of changing, deceptive, intricate windups. You never knew. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. The interesting yeah. part about this book. No, that is interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what was I going to say? Shit. I like the term shine ball. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Why I, have no, I, I don't know what shine. it means, but I'm really into it. <laughs> you oh, yeah. They probably put, like, shoe, shoe black yeah. on it or something. Yeah. Another interesting part of this book is describing the Jim Crow South because all these players, the two interesting ones are about Satchel Page and Josh Gibson and also um, another catcher whose name I forget, where they agreed to play for the DR for the summer. But in order to do that, and they're living in Pittsburgh or the North, and they've got to get across the South to get to either New Orleans or Miami to take a, they can fly from New Orleans or Miami to the Dominican Republic. Right. So just seeing the experience of them, you know, taking a train, and then when you get to D.C., you have to get off and get into the black-only car of the train. Right. And this is at the height of, like, lynchings in the South. So you, even though it, they talk about Josh Gibson, who was the most famous Negro League player, and he's... You know, everybody knows who he is. It's like you get on the train and Mike Trout's on your fucking train. Right. But then as soon as he crosses the line into the south. He's, Hold on. Yeah. Mike Trout only travels by weather balloon. I thought you knew that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> by himself also. Right. I don't know if would recognize Mike Trout. Yeah. That's also <laughs> no one would recognize Mike Trout. Exactly. <clears throat> They'd be like, who's this creepy white dude who... Kind of looks like Anthony Rizzo doing here. <laughs> Is that Anthony Rizzo? Anthony Rizzo over there? Yeah. <laughs> Mike Trout has signed more Cubs jerseys than Anthony Rizzo has. <laughs> <laughs> then everyone's always disappointed when uh, he signs at Weatherman. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like, hoping for fair skies in your future. <laughs> uh, what the fuck, Rizzo? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then uh, one other interesting. Well, I got a lot of other interesting things. One thing is then they get to the Dominican Republic where it's not segregated at all because even the north was segregated. Right. Uh, but then they get to the DR and it's not segregated at all and they can go. There's still like a racial hierarchy it seems like between light skinned and dark skinned. There's a lot of talk about how Trujillo is really into light skinned women. Um, but the but Satchel Page and the other baseball players they can go wherever they want and the schedule you would play one series over the weekend. You'd usually play uh, a Sunday game and then a doubleheader. I mean, a Saturday game and then a doubleheader on Sunday. Right. And then they wouldn't play the rest of the week, and they'd only practice in the afternoons. So Paige and the other base American players, they'd go out and get shit-faced every night to the point where uh, Dr. Ibar the dentist starts getting pissed at him and basically assigns him like a military watch that just follows Satchel Page wherever he goes to make sure he doesn't like get so drunk he can't stand up. Right. Well, it's a good Dominican rum, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's it. I'm not done with the book yet. Uh, you need one of those. What? A military guy? A military escort <laughs> that's like, Joel. It's time for you to go home. I know. <laughs> right. I think that would be a great idea. Like, Joe, <laughs> you got a doubleheader tomorrow at school. <laughs> you got back-to-back reading tomorrow. <laughs> you got to cool it down. Cool it, yeah. you got to go, Joe, yeah. <clears throat> I guess I would get mad at uh, my bodyguards at that point also. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The least popular guy in the room is the one who's like, don't drink anymore, you know? Right. <laughs> but then they've also got, like, rifles that they hit you with. Right. Yeah, there's that, too. Anyway, the other part of this book that I've learned a lot about is a little bit about the history of the Dominican Republic, which I really don't know anything about. Right. But that Trujillo, he really came to power. He came to power in uh, initially in 1930, and it was kind of in the ashes of an American invasion of the Dominican Republic in during World War One. Right. And that um, uh, the DR had really been under American military occupation with kind of a puppet president in place for decades. And that Trujillo was really able to rise to power kind of with this nationalism of being opposed to the Americans who were like the bad guys. Right. Yeah. Same with Castro. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of. I see him as as a real proto-Castro. I mean, he, he's more of a fascist than a communist, I guess. Right. Um, but But yeah, exactly. A lot like that. Um, oh, and then this, yeah, that the U.S. occupied the Dominican Republic due to threats of defaulting on foreign debts. So essentially, the Dominican Republic was in debt to American private companies because of World War One, And so the U.S. Navy came and occupied the DR. Right. 
I really like it when America's like, well, why doesn't anyone like us? And then they're like, exactly. also like, just occupy all of Central and South America, you know? Right, right. <laughs> like, we don't really get that history, I guess, in other schools. Right, I, no, they don't teach it to us, but it's no. like, it's, <laughs> yeah, we it's were, really funny. Yeah, we were, we were dicks in this, during this time period. Right. <laughs> um, but kind of the one good thing, I guess, of the occupation was that baseball became really huge in the DR during the occupation. Right. That, and that became a thing. Like, the Dominicans started uh, having their their small-town teams, and they would play against the occupying American soldiers. And, like, it was a big deal when your local, you know, DR team could beat uh, the Marines at a baseball game. Right. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That must have been so nice. Yeah. Oh, and then the last thing I'll say, and then uh, I'll kind of run out. I'm, we'll, we'll get better at this. This is a new format. But there was a, uh, what's the word? Uh, shoot, a boat that crashed. Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked, thank you. There was a shipwrecked U.S., old U.S., battleship off the coast of the main city uh, Ciudad Trujillo and from the baseball stadium you could see it like in outfield. Oh cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's Santo Domingo right? Yeah now it's Santo Domingo. They called it uh, Trujillo had it renamed for him so right. the name of the team is the Ciudad Trujillo Dragones. The Trujillo City Dragons. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll finish it. Um, oh, I, here's another thing that I, I thought about while I was reading it. The press, the Dominican press, uh-huh. um, was is hilarious. And I think the comparisons to, like, modern sports media is kind of apt. Like... Because they're were, terrible. Because they're terrible, and they think that a combined no hitter is a really good pitching performance. No, well, <laughs> no, mostly if Pe- Satchel Page has one bad game, he just gets ripped to shreds in the local media. Like, oh, he's no good, and these lazy Americans, and then they get real racist for a little while, and then he'll pitch a really good game the next week, and they're like. Oh, he's the greatest. We love him so much. Um, it goes back and forth. I thought that was interesting. Okay. <clears throat> Let me just give you a little history backup for this. Yeah. Trujillo was ruled as an elected president from 1930 to 38 and again from 42 to 52, ruling for the rest of the time as an unelected military strongman. So after uh, 52, he in, decided to stop the fake election. No, there were like, there were figurehead presidents, apparently. He never left power from 1930 oh. to 1961. Oh, uh, yeah. And he, but there were other pr- people who were elected that were just figureheads, apparently. Yeah. That's what Putin does. I, yeah, that's, I keep thinking about Putin. Uh, right. And then he was assassinated, though. Can, can you find the section 
of him who who assassinated him? Uh, well, I'm on Wikipedia here, so clearly this is right the gold standard of information. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. On thir- Tuesday, the 30th of May, 1961, Trujillo was shot and killed when his blue 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air was ambushed on a road outside the Dominican capital. He was the victim of an ambush pl- plotted by a number of men, among them General Juan Thomas Diaz, Pedro Livio Cedeno, Antonio de la Maza, Armando Garcia Guerrero, and General Antonio Imbert Barrera. Plotters, however, failed to take control as the later-to-be-elected General Jose Rene Ramon Fernandez, Papa Ramon, betrayed his co-conspirators by his inactivity and contingency plans had not been made. On the other side, Johnny Abbott's, Johnny Abbe's, Roberto Figura Carrion, and the Trujillo family put the sim to work to hunt the members of the plot, and brought back Ramfis Trujillo from Paris to step into his father's shoes. Oh, so his family still maintained control of the island after he died. Interesting. Huh. All right, well, um, so this has been a little shaky, but I kind of like, we're gonna, I, I like the idea of book club. I want to keep book club, uh, and, and let's keep it up. Well, I'll finish this book and let you guys know. I do. The other thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit more about the Negro Leagues and how they came to be. The the uh, the guy in Pittsburgh who uh, runs the Pittsburgh Crawfords is really interesting. Gus Gus Greenlee basically getting uh, his fortune together uh, running booze during Prohibition. And then becoming uh, uh, very wealthy, running numbers in Pittsburgh, and then he decides to buy a baseball team. Um, and then also the uh, black press, like newspapers, like the Chicago Defender, talking mad smack about the white baseball leagues and how they need to start hiring uh, uh, black players. So that's real interesting, also. Um, but maybe we'll talk about that in two weeks. Sam, what's the book that you've been reading that we can talk about next week? <clears throat> next week, we'll be talking about the book that I've been reading, which is called The Catcher Was a Spy, uh, which is the – it's called – let me get the cover up here real quick. It's called The Catcher is the Spy, The Mysterious Life of Mo Berg. Cool. Um, so anyway, we'll get into that next week. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thanks so much for sticking with us. It is an interesting book. I would recommend it. I'd kind of give it so far like three out of four stars. Like the story is really interesting, but sometimes the storytelling doesn't make sense. Jumps around a lot. Um, Can't trust a guy who's given himself his own nickname. Exactly. (laughs) The nicknames are one of my favorite parts, though. Everybody's got a nickname, even Joshua Josh Gibson. Right. (laughs) All right. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been Dump on the Ump, ostensibly a baseball podcast. Give us a rating and a review. You can also subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. Uh, check us out on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash umpinhemp. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and WordPress. All right. Uh, for Sam, this has been Joel. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Have a good evening and a pleasant tomorrow. Oh, yeah.
the banana wars. That's what they're called. No, shipwreck, Joel. I'm telling you. Shipwreck. <laughs> right, thank you. I can't believe when a I boat forgot. goes down, it's not called <laughs> it's the just... banana wars. I'm sorry. It's just not. Right, we wonder, we wonder why everybody in Central America is still mad at us. Right. <laughs> 